This episode of The How of Business is brought to you by ZBrand. ZBrand is the all-in-one branding platform for jumpstarting your small business. With ZBrand, you can create a complete brand system that includes logos, colors, branded templates, and more. All pre-designed based on your vision to deliver brand consistency, impact, and business growth. Get the effective brand your business deserves without investing too much time and money so you can focus on growing your business. It's easy, it's quick, and it's free to get started. To learn more about ZBrand, visit zbranding.com or text biz to 31996 and I will reply with the link to the free ZBranding starter guide. Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Andrea Sager. Andrea, welcome to the show. Hey there. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you. We're going to chat with Andrea about trademarks and copyrights for small business owners. She's an attorney, and so we're going to chat about that. If you want to receive more information about this episode of The Howl of Business or other episodes, the show notes page links, all of those things, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996, and I'll reply with the link. So Andrea Sager is a serial entrepreneur who left the big law firm after realizing her true passion was in assisting small business owners. While in law school, in fact, she started her first business, which was a women's clothing boutique. After she sold her store and began her career as a lawyer, she quickly realized she was not going to be able to assist fellow small business owners at a large firm. And that's why she started Andrea Sager Law PLLC, which is a virtual law firm. With her unique experience running multiple businesses, she's a trusted legal expert for small business owners as they grow their business. She's not just an attorney, but she really does develop business partnership relations with her clients guiding them through all stages of business growth. She understands that every small business owner has a different budget. We're all on tight budgets, obviously, which is why Andrea Sager Law provides several different modes of service, which we're going to chat about. Very interesting the way she does it. She offers subscription-based, flat fee, contingency fee, hourly, and do-it-yourself options. She focuses exclusively on federal law, and in particular, of course, as we're going to chat about, trademarks, and copyrights. She's also the host of her own podcast, a great show called The Legal Legalpreneur Podcast. That was hard to get out. The Legalpreneur Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> she lives in Deer Park, Texas, which is outside of Houston. I had to look that up myself. And so once again, Andrea Sager, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm super excited about this. Wonderful, wonderful. So yeah, so Deer Park is a, would you consider it a suburb of Houston? Yes, right outside of Houston. I actually grew up in Pasadena, which is on the border and ah. neighbors Deer Park. So all the same area, southeast of Houston. Yeah, nice area because you're close to the coast there, the, at least the yes. Bay, Bay Area anyway, which is nice. Yes, absolutely. All right, so the first question I have before we dive into trademarks and copyrights, I was curious, obviously, as I read in your bio, your focus on small business. I'm curious as to why you developed that desire to serve small business owners. So, yeah, I actually did have a very defining moment that some entrepreneurs have. They're, you know, maybe they're in the regular nine to five and they just have this moment of clarity. It's just like, I'm not where I'm meant to be. I'm meant to do something else. And I had that vision 
when I was at the big firm I was at, you know, I got the job at the firm. I thought I was set for life, but being a small business owner, I had that connection to other small business owners. So I often had other clothing boutique owners reach out to me, want help with trademarks and copyrights, other business matters, but they usually just couldn't afford the firm's rates. Well, finally, I had a client who just didn't care about the fees. She's like, you know what? I don't care. I just need to get this done. So I said, okay, no problem. So we were onboarding her and I had a partner at the firm come to me and tell me they did not want her as a client. Interesting. And I did not, at the time I was just like, I, I don't get this. Like she is paying the fees. She doesn't have an issue with paying anything. So I just didn't understand. And she was, yeah, she was a small business, but she was successful. She was very successful, multi six figure business at the time. Now she's a million dollar business, but at the time they just did not want her as a client. So it was in that moment where I realized that small business owners were at a disadvantage because they had that hole in the market for adequate legal services that were affordable. So literally that moment just like had me going. And from that moment, I was planning my exit from the firm and a couple of months later said goodbye. And I've been on my own ever since. And I've loved every minute of it. Wow. Yeah. Very interesting. I didn't, I can see where that perspective probably is pervasive at a lot of larger firms where they, they look at, you know, what, What's the billable opportunity here with this small right. business owner? And yeah, now I kind of understand it, but they also didn't, I mean, now she's, you know, probably one of their ideal clients, right. but at the time, even if she wasn't who they wanted, my vision is why can't, you know, why can't you grow together? But yeah. anyways, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I course, digress. On the other side of it is what you talk about on your show often, which is that as small business owners, that is one of the reasons why we're afraid to reach out to an attorney. Yes, exactly. It, because I work with so many small business owners that reach out for information on fees. And then finally, when they talk to me, they're like, oh, that's it. Mm -hmm. Because they just have this vision that it's going to cost, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or something, some out enormous rate that just isn't affordable. So now my mission really is to just get the word out there that legal services are affordable and they're necessary for small business owners. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you talk about it and, and it's such, unfortunately what happens is then we don't get the legal advice. We make mistakes or we miss something and we expose our business to lots of liability issues. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. All right, let's start with trademarks. Uh, you know, this is a popular topic. I, I, I've done my own trademarks. I'm fairly familiar <laughs> to some extent as a small business owner with trademarks. And so I was excited to get your input on this. Uh, I thought we would start by, let's just introduce the concept of trademarks and how they work at a high level. That way we're all on the same page and then, and then we'll dive into some more details. Does that make sense? Absolutely, let's do it. So let's start there. What 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 is a trademark, generally speaking? And let's start to explain how they work and why we might need them in our small business. Yeah. So trademarks, very high level, are your branding. It's anything that identifies your brand. So think about your brand name, your logo, your slogan, and those are typically the top three that businesses start with. 
And what's also important to know about trademarks is it's not an end game. So you file your brand name and you get that approved. Well, that's probably not the only thing you want to protect. You have the logo and the slogan, and then you have your podcast. Maybe you have the name of a service within your brand. You have a product name, a product line. There's many things within your business that can be and should be protected, not just the name, the logo, the slogan. Right. And, and, and so why should, obviously from a branding perspective, but what are the exposures? What is the liability if I don't get, let's say, let's start with the business name. If I don't get a trademark, what could happen? Yeah. So if you don't get a federal trademark on your brand name, number one, somebody can come along after you and register it and make you change your name. Now, if this happens within a certain amount of time, then you can fight to get your name back. So if you've been, if the other party has been registered for, you know, three years and you've been in business longer than them, well, you can still fight them to get the rights back. However, it's going to be very costly. It's unnecessary expenses. And you could have saved all that money by just filing your federal trademark from the beginning. So if I had been operating as, you know, platinum pizza for 10 years, never got it trademarked, somebody then today goes and gets a trademark for platinum pizza, they could try to stop me from using that name. I can defend that because I can prove that I had been using it longer, but now I've got to incur legal expenses to defend that. Is that fair summary of it? Absolutely. And I have, you know, I have a couple of those matters going on right now. And honestly, the business owner, uh, the clients, they just didn't know. They're like, oh, I didn't know that I could even file a trademark. I didn't know my business was big enough or, or this or that, you know, all the, all the reasons. But just know that if you're conducting business online, especially, or in, multi so if you're conducting business online or in multiple states, so you have clients in more than one state, then you're eligible for federal trademark protection. If you're a local business, say, you know, you have a, a local pizza shop and you don't sell anything to clients in multiple states, then you're not eligible for federal trademark protection. So that's why I really focus on the online businesses because most of them are conducting business in more than one state. So the majority of them are eligible for federal trademark protection. Hmm. I guess I had not been clear on that one caveat. So I have to offer my product or service to multiple states to qualify for a trademark. Right. Well, you just have to have clients and basically it's the technical term is interstate commerce. Right. So be selling in more than one state. So if you have, you know, and your podcast and you have listeners in multiple states, then you're good. Interesting because like, for example, my, my yogurt shop that's just in Colorado, I was able to get a trademark on the name, but we only have locations in Colorado. Now, of course we do have a website that exposes us to potentially clients that might travel to Colorado. Uh, is that why I might've been able to get that trademark or do you think they just didn't look at that specifically? Um, it could be either one of those. It typically depends on where you're doing business. So if you only have the brick and mortar in, you know, one state and you're not selling outside of the state anywhere, then typically you're not eligible for trademark protection. But the 
trademark office actually doesn't really look into that. Right. They they go by what you're saying. So it would somebody else would have to come along and say, oh, hey, we're going to petition to cancel his trademark because he's not doing business uh, right. in more than one state. In Florida, for example, they might argue that. Now, of course, when I filed it, part of it was the thinking was we might franchise this across multiple states. So I wanted to protect that name right. up front, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, but but I could get challenged by somebody in another state and say, hey, they, they are not doing business as out of Colorado. They registered this thing 10 years ago. Um, I'm, I'm going to, I want it. I want to use it. Is that, that what you're saying? Correct. Okay. All right. So I'm with you there. At a high level, I, I understand it somewhat, but walk us through the, the process of doing so. This is at the federal level, obviously. I can do it myself because I've done it myself. There's a fee that you pay online. Uh, yes. But just walk us through that process, what that typically looks like from kind of beginning to end at a high level. Yeah. So I, I tell clients all the time, look, if you don't want to pay attorney fees, no problem. You can go to USPTO.gov and file yourself. It's a, it's either $225 or $275, depending on which application you use. That's the filing fee. Now, if you work with my firm, we take you through the search process and then the application process. So the search process basically clears the name for you. And this is actually really good for new businesses that aren't ready to file the trademark application, but they still want to make sure that they're not infringing on anybody. Hmm. And the search provides that clearance for them. Basically we give a low, moderate or high risk and that gives them you know, the risk that they're facing on whether they're infringing on somebody and the risk that they're facing getting through the application process, yeah. because we want to make sure that you're clear to use the name because number one, it takes quite a while to get approved. And then we want to also make sure that you're not infringing. And we, cause we don't want to, like, I will not file an application if I know that somebody's not going to get approved. And that's why we do the search is to make sure you will, you have a very good chance of getting approved. Yeah. And I love how you phrase it because I am an example of how, despite having done a search through an attorney, we were still rejected for a particular trademark for another business. So as you are stating, there's no assurances because what happens when you file that application, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong here, is then an individual attorney at the U.S. Trademark on Patent Office reviews that case and there's a subjective component to that person's interpretation as to whether I might potentially infringe on an existing trademark, correct? Yes, 100%. Um, so that's, that's people need to be aware of that, that that doesn't necessarily mean you'll get that trademark, but I, your guidance and by doing that search would at least tell me it's possible that this other name might be perceived as an infringement and you won't get it. So we may want to think about another name for this business or this product or this service. Yeah. Right. And the thing is when you have the, when you have a refusal from the trademark office, that doesn't mean that you're not going to get approved. It may just mean that you have to put in some extra work. You have to overcome the trademark attorney's refusal. So typically when we're doing the search and we think we may receive a refusal, then we fight, we, classify that as moderate risk. And we tell the client, you know, we think you may get a refusal for these reasons, but you know, for these reasons, we think that you, we can overcome that refusal and still get approved. Yeah. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, and as far as doing yourself versus an attorney, I do that myself because I've done it multiple times now, but it is while, and while you can do it and there's, you know, no legal reason you can't, it is a tricky application and there's parts of it. And even after I've done it a couple of times, I, I always get that whole, you know, uh, not, not claiming the individual words and how you phrase yeah. that. You know? <laughs> and so I've gone back and forth and it costs more money than to reapply. So, so often, especially if you've not done it before, it's, it's best to, to get the guidance of an attorney on it. Um, all right, you touched on it, but I want to go back to the timing because one of the things I, I'm challenged with is I work with clients, you know, we're on tight budgets as we're launching our business. And so the question of, do I do it now or do I do it later as far as my name? I always do, let me just kind of preface that. I always recommend that people at least go and search themselves at the federal database because you can do that for free to see that at least it seems like based on my layman's search, there may not be a conflict. I'm going to hopefully get the name at the state level where I'm going to create my business entity. I'm going to check to see that the URL might be available. Those are all indicators that maybe this name isn't taken, maybe. But it's the question of do I spend the money now or do I spend it later? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, good question. I love this question too. And basically I tell people, look, if you're just starting out, your business and you're kind of just testing the water, then you probably don't need to file a trademark upfront. However, that search is still a necessity because you don't know what's going to happen within your business. So you don't want to start out infringing on somebody and then you absolutely blow up and start making millions of dollars. And then the other person who you're infringing on, they can come after you and sue you for that million dollars. You don't want that to happen. So as long as you do the search, you'll have a pretty good idea knowing of whether you are infringing on somebody or not. And I absolutely tell people, look, you should definitely search the trademark database yourself, search Google, search social media, and catch the low-hanging fruit because you don't want to pay me to catch the low-hanging fruit because that, you know, you could have saved yourself a few hundred dollars there. Right. Now, our comprehensive search is still a necessity because trademark infringement isn't just when it's the same exact name it's when the names are similar and the goods and services are similar enough to where consumers could be confused as to who the owner is right and that's what trips a lot of people up they say oh well my business is abc their business is abc's make it plural well that doesn't matter and it doesn't matter if you add the and make it the ABC. None of that matters. It's still infringement. And it could even be, you know, the registered mark is ABC and you are ABC. That could still be infringement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good clarification. Of course, you do this regularly enough. You, you have a pretty good feel for what they're going to look for that I may not think, oh, that doesn't seem like it would be an infringement. Well, that they're going to think differently. The attorney that takes that case might think very differently. And you, you've got that experience. So that's where your, that value comes in on that part of it. Yes, exactly. Okay. Uh, uh, trademarks only last for a period of time and then I have to renew them, correct? That is correct. So the typically trademarks last you have to renew every 10, between 10 and 11 years, but your first renewal comes between five and six years. 
And, then and, that, and that's the tricky one, right? Because yes. people, I think, people, people think, and, and the thing on that, Andrew, that, that really bothers me and I want to make sure we talk about is that um, you're going to get all kinds of solicitations that look like they're <laughs> official, right? And people, I, I just hate that because people fall for that all the time. Yes. Yes. If you, it doesn't matter if you have an attorney or you don't have an attorney, the moment your application is filed, you will get unsolicited mail and email, but more specifically mail that looks very official requesting payment. Yep. And the address is always different. So I know the trademark offices had a hard time figuring out who exactly it is, but people pay it. I know, people I know. pay it it's terrible and we have um you know we have our full process where you know we warn the clients every single time we file their application and every single time we get an email saying hey i got this in the mail i thought i already paid i'm like no no that's the spam i told you about yeah. and every single time I'm like oh my gosh it looks so official i'm like yeah i know I'm also seeing them because, you know, once you create your legal entity at the state level, if they can get that data yes. and mail you to that. The other thing I see a lot that I'd like you to get your, your thoughts on is you'll get these for an international trademark or a foreign trademark or whatever, which yep. to my understanding, of course, there is no such thing, but educate me on that. Yeah. So there, there's no worldwide trademark. You have to file in every individual country if you're if you want to protect yourself in those countries. Now, if you you know you're selling a million dollars in the U.S. and you're selling ten dollars in Canada or Mexico or Australia, you may not necessarily want to file in those countries because you're set you know you're making ten dollars in that country. But if you were making a significant amount in those countries then you do probably want to file in those countries to protect yourself, but you do have to file in each individual country. Right. Now there is what's called the Madrid protocol, which allows you to apply in those countries with your, essentially it's a more streamlined application once you have your registration here or your application here in the U S um, but you still have to pay all the fees. And where, where do I go for that? It's all at uspto.gov. Okay, and I see. Yeah. They yeah. facilitate that as well. Correct. Okay. All right, great. Thanks for clarifying that. And again, if you get bombarded, which you will, <laughs> uh, by these letters, uh, it's a scam. And, and I just, I hate it. Yeah. And if you, especially if you're a DIYer, ignore all email, all snail mail, because you will only get official communication from the trademark office who will have the email address with uspto.gov. Yeah. All right. So I've, let's say I've got my trademark now and I see, I find that someone is infringing on my name. Well, how do I, what do I do? What are, what's the first steps I should take to defend my trademark? So number one, you want to make sure that you have priority. And when I say priority, you want to make sure that you were in business first because you don't want to open an unnecessary can of worms. I've seen that happen before. <laughs> but then you it depends on who the infringer is. It depends, you know, how much money's at stake. Because if it's, you know, Susie Homemaker that started her business yesterday, then you don't I mean, it's not even worth it to get an attorney involved. What you can do is just reach out to her and say, 
hey, you know, this is my trademark registration. I have this business. I just wanted to let you know and, you know, ask you to change your name. I I typically tell clients to do that before reaching out to me if it looks like they're not, they haven't been in business for a while because you can save money and there's nothing that I can do if there's basically you're not going to get money from a business that started that just started. Mm-hmm. So it's not really worth it if you can get them to change Stop. their name. Yeah, change their right. Name. Now, if they ignore the request or if the client just says, uh, you know what, you just handle it. I don't, I don't care to spend the money. Well, then we can take a couple of different options. Number one, certainly we can send a letter. Um, if they ignore the letter or if, the other person just kind of ignores my client's request and they look like they're not going to budge even with an attorney, then what we can do, which has been, which is actually very, very helpful for small business owners is submit an online trademark takedown request. And essentially every online platform will have this process and it's pretty much the same process for trademarks and copyrights. You can, essentially you can just Google any online platform. So if it's a WordPress website, if it's on Facebook, just Google, you know, Facebook trademark takedown and and they'll have their own process, follow the steps. And as long as, you know, Facebook agrees, then they'll remove the page, the content, whatever it is. And that's that. And the reason they, they are, they will cooperate that way is they don't want to get named in the, in the being complicit in this trademark infringement, right? By absolutely either having that website up or Facebook page up or whatever the platform might be. Yes. So it's a safe Harbor for the online platforms. If they're host, if, so if they don't abide by the safe Harbor, then they can be sued for trademark infringement or copyright infringement. So the, the safe Harbor is in place to protect them from being drawn into all these lawsuits. Right. Because the, the host of whatever that uh, page is might be the one with the deeper pockets and they don't want to be exposed. So that's why they offer this safe Harbor option. Exactly. And it's very, very helpful for small businesses because it's essentially, you know, getting rid of the infringer without yeah. having to pay anything. Right. Which is huge for us nowadays. And that's one of the, the benefits of everything being online is that that can essentially shut down that infringing business if we can at least accomplish that without too much out of pocket from a legal perspective for me to defend my trademark. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Okay. All right. Um, we had touched on it, but I want to go back to a point we talked earlier. I have a name. I've got a logo, perhaps. I've got a tagline, perhaps. Those are three separate filings as, as I understand it and I have done in the past your thoughts on whether I need to do them all up front or if I again, if I'm trying to save some money, I just do the name and do the logo later. What do you think there? Yeah. So if you have the money, I would apply for whatever you can up front, but then just keep building as your business keeps growing, keep building on your trademarks because the goal with trademarks is to build a wall and you want to build a wall so high that nobody can infringe on your business and you build this wall by getting federal trademark registrations. So the next trademark registration, you're laying down more bricks and that eventually will help you create that wall to where everything in your business is protected. Yeah. And the logo could be a tricky one. And I can see where it can go both ways, both from me 
defending my now my image that represents my business, my logo, but also that I may not be infringing. And if so, for example, if I've got a brick and mortar location and I've spent money on signage that includes that logo and I didn't know somebody already has a logo that would be considered an infringement. Well, now, I, now I've got some hard costs that I have to go and change my physical signage, right? Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's where a lot of the strategy can come in as far as, okay, so maybe you are actually infringing, but you know, if this business really is only selling in the Northeast part of the country and you're over here in Arizona, you know, maybe we can either stay under the radar or we can come to some sort of consent agreement where the parties agree to coexist that, um, that's where a lot of the strategy comes involved, comes okay. in. All right. Wonderful. Okay. Uh, one last question here on trademarks, common mistakes and misconceptions that you see that, that we haven't talked about already. Like for example, what, what's not protected by a trademark. Is there anything that comes to mind that you often see that we haven't talked about that people get wrong about trademarks? Yeah. So I, coming from the fashion industry, I work with a lot of designers and a lot of t-shirt designers. They want to create, you know, this nice t-shirt design and then they want to protect it with a trademark. Like, oh, I want to make sure, you know, either they want to protect the design itself or they want to protect the words on the shirt. And then I have to tell them, look, you, you really can't protect the, you know, the words that are on the shirt with a trademark because you can't prevent somebody else from using these words on a t-shirt for a design. Now, some of that might fall in the area of copyrights though. Yes. The design itself that might fall under copyright protection. And okay. we do work with a lot of designers that have a lot of copyrighted designs. And we, we actually have a program where we are basically consistently searching online for infringements of those designs to protect our clients. Mm -hmm. So the same thing with trademarks, with the takedowns, we submit copyright takedowns for the infringing designs. I see. This is Henry Lopez with a brief break from this episode to introduce you to our new sponsor, Zbrand. Zbrand is the all-in-one branding platform to help you jumpstart your small business. You know you need a clear and effective brand for your small business, but you also know you don't have the budget to hire an expensive designer or marketing agency. What you need are the essential components of a brand and a way to effectively communicate your brand to your partners, staff, and customers. But you may not even know where to start with your brand colors. With Zbrand, you can realize your brand vision, and then you can consistently communicate that brand vision to help you grow your business. By asking some simple questions about your business, Zbrand's artificial intelligence-based algorithm creates a uniquely tailored brand toolkit full of essential marketing pieces that reflect your vision. From logos, fonts, and colors to website templates and social media icons, you get the effective brand your business deserves without investing too much time and money so you can focus on growing your business. To learn more about Zbrand, visit zbranding.com or text biz to 31996 and I will reply with a link to the free Zbrand starter guide. Okay, let's segue into copyrights, but before we do that, I meant to mention this at the outset. I just want to do a quick legal disclaimer. 
and you'll help me <laughs> help me with this. I want to make sure everybody listening understands. And of course, I'm not an attorney. Andrea is an attorney, but she's not your attorney. And so we're just sharing ideas, thoughts, examples, but you got to seek your own legal guidance on any of these topics before you make a decision for your own small business. Anything you would add to that? No, you got you you got it, man. Good. So please, if you're listening, this is just advice and, and thoughts for us to share, but, but you always have to take the responsibility of getting your own legal advice before you take action on this. All right. So let's segue into copyright since we touched on that. When this, and this one is a little bit more confusing, I think for me and for a lot of people. So I'll ask this first question. When do I need generally, do I need a copyright? So First, let me explain what a copyright, what, what is protected with a copyright. And that essentially is your content. So the content in this podcast episode is protected with a copyright. The, your blog posts, your photos, your videos, your, if you have a course, your course content. Now, the moment you create the work, it is protected with a federal copyright. So you, you don't even need a registration to have rights. As long as it is an original work, then it is protected with a copyright. However, you still want the registration for certain things. So you cannot sue someone for copyright infringement until the Copyright Office has ruled on your application. Whether they approve it or deny it, you can then sue somebody for copyright infringement. So even if you apply and the Copyright Office denies it, you can still sue somebody, but then you have to prove in court that you have copyright rights instead of having the copyright registration. Okay, I think I'm following that, but I wanna break it down. Yeah. So let's say the content of this episode is a great example. If someone takes it uh, in any form, they take a transcript of it and, and share it for their own gain, that's an infringement on my copyright on this content that I've created, correct? Yes. I did not have to register that because of course it doesn't make sense for me to register every episode of my podcast, right? I could, but, but I'm not going to practically, right? Correct. Then if I do see, I find that someone has stolen my content, then that's where I kind of got a little fuzzy. What would I do at that point? So you can, again, reach out to them, same, same way you do for trademarks and say, hey, look, I own this copyright. However, m most times now I'm seeing people are think they're smart and they're like, okay, well, show me the registration and I'll stop using it or whatever. And they don't understand that you don't need the registration to have rights. So you have rights. Now, with copyrights, you can also go and submit the takedown without having a registration. So that's what's different between trademarks and copyrights. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. With trademarks, you have to have the registration. Right. With a copyright, you don't have to have the registration. Now, I do have to prove, I have to imagine, that I was first to create this content. Yes. So when you submit the takedown, they'll ask, you actually don't have to prove that you were first to use it. You just have to basically the statement that you provide, it's you're giving it under penalty of perjury. So if something happens and there is an actual lawsuit over this, if they find out that you were lying, you, that means you perjured yourself. <laughs> exactly. So, so that would be bad. But yeah. if we do go to, to a courtroom 
then I'd have to provide some kind of example or proof rather of when I first published this content. Yes. And when you submit the takedown online, you just have to show it where you're basically on your own. So if you have it hosted on your website or if you have, um, you know, if somebody created a YouTube video of your podcast content, then you would submit to YouTube the original podcast content. You would send them the link to your podcast. How do, how do you, something more difficult would be a, a photograph, which I know this is a big one. I want to talk about mm -hmm. it from both sides because uh, I know you talk about this in your podcast. If I'm the creator of that image, how do I best then, how do you recommend I best document that, I, that I'm the creator, that I first created this? Typically, the computer, whether you know it or not, your computer is keeping track of it. So but the first time that I share it online, I would have that as the audit trail that I published that, and that would be my, my so proof. That, that can be proof, or once you upload the photos to your computer, ah. your computer is also keeping track of it. And when you edit it, say, you know, in Photoshop, Photoshop is keeping a record of all of that as well. I see, I see. Now I want to flip it for a moment because uh, the big one is we, this casts a lot of small business owners using images because they find it on a website somewhere and they think, Oh, I just put this on my website. Yeah. So educate us on that. Yeah. So this is actually the number one way that business owners get in trouble, especially newer businesses, because you know, you're balling on the budget. You're excited to get your business on a, off the ground and you're like, oh, well, I need photos for my website or I need to post a photo on social media. And then you find this pretty picture on Google or Pinterest, whatever it is. And then you post it as your own, but that's infringement. You have to have a proper license to post a photo and to share it as your own or else it is copyright infringement. And it doesn't matter if you give credit or not, it is still copyright infringement. And that's what a lot of people don't realize is even if you give credit, it's still infringement. Yeah. I think a lot of people are confused about that. And then where I think it gets even more gray is sharing on social media. Yes. Sharing so <laughs> personally versus sharing in the name of my business, I'm sure has something to do with it. So help me with that. Yeah. So technically with copyright infringement, anybody can get sued whether you're sharing it for personal purposes or business purposes, anybody can get sued. However, most people will not sue unless it's for business purposes because the only, you can only get damages if there was a commercial gain. Right. I, I got a gain from it without paying you for the, the privilege Correct. to use it. Yeah. Yes. And don't, another thing, just like a big tip, like don't rely on fair use because there's so many little nuances there that it's not worth it to rely on. And fair use is not, it's not a matter of, oh, I only use three seconds or 10 seconds of it. That has nothing to do with fair use. So whether, you know, somebody wants to share 10 seconds of this podcast interview or one second of this podcast interview, it's still copyright infringement. Mm -hmm. And Another thing that's getting muddier and even just became muddier last week, um, sharing within social platforms. So with Instagram, if you, you know, you share, you have a picture on your feed and somebody shares it to their stories, 
that's not copyright infringement because Instagram says it's not. However, you can tell that it was shared by somebody else's page. Right. So basically you can still see who the original person was to post it. So now, because of the because of that, um, I'm okay with doing that, that type of sharing on that platform. Yes. And also with Instagram, there's like the regram app. So you can post another photo to your Instagram feed. Mm-hmm. And that's not infringement. However, if you screenshot mm-hmm. that photo, post it as your own, then that is infringement. Yeah. And just last week, there was a new case that came down in a federal court in New York where a judge, and I, I'm almost certain that this will probably get overturned, but a judge ruled that you can embed a photo on another you know basically if you right click on instagram you can or if you you click the dots and it says share or whatever you can get the embed link so that means you are embedding it to maybe your website and it shows the photo but it shows it within instagram Mm -hmm. well up until now like we've all thought that's infringement well a judge last week just ruled that is not infringement and is his argument that I can still link back to the original source if I just copy that embed code? Yes. So there's this rule of the server test, and I don't want to get too far into that yeah. with all these legal tests. But basically, they say he sent the judge is saying, well, it's still on Instagram server, so it's not infringement. Right. Right. However, I'm I'm very very interested to see what happens because okay. that, I mean that's going to be really detrimental to a, I mean a lot of specifically photographers. Right. So right. they're going to be limited on what they can actually share on Instagram, and this all came about because Mashable wanted they reached out to a photographer to get a license for I think it was like fifty dollars, and she said no. So instead, they just embedded the photo, and then hmm. she sued them, and this is what happened. Interesting. So a lot more to come there. So be careful there. Now, just to make sure I followed though. If I'm on Facebook, for example, I have I have a, a page for our frozen yogurt shop. I top it. If I find content somewhere else, even if it's a picture of a kitty cat that somebody took, if I share it in Facebook to that Facebook page, which is a business Facebook page, I'm okay. Yes. Okay. Okay, good. That's great. I didn't understand that. So thanks for clarifying that. Um, how else are you seeing small business owners get themselves in trouble? Like you said, this, this image thing is the number one thing. Are there other things that you see on a common basis that get people in trouble with copyrights? Um, I mean, honestly, photos, that's, that's the biggest thing. That's the and big one, right? That's I mean, I've even one. heard of people will pay somebody to have a website created and that web developer Maybe even they thought they were placeholder folders and you've potentially violated copyright. So you have to be yep. so careful with images, right? Yeah. And another thing you have, so you have to have a proper license. So a proper license can be something as simple as you messaging the original content creator and asking for permission to use. And they say may, they may say yes okay, great. Or they may say, Hey, yeah, but it's going to cost you this much money. Okay. Pay the money and you're fine. Or, or you have to be careful with these free stock photo sites because there is a scam going around 
basically photographers are uploading the photos and I see this a lot with Creative Commons, not like anything on the fault of Creative Commons, but with Creative Commons, basically people can upload their own works and Creative Commons will shoot it out to other free stock photo sites. Well, when they upload the work, they can stipulate any little design, any little stipulation that they want. So the photographer can say, okay, yeah, you can use this photo, but you have to give me credit or you can only use it, you know, and it can be shared up to, you know, a hundred times. And if it gets shared, you know, 101 times, well, guess what? That's copyright infringement and they can sue you. And a lot of people don't look at, and this is really, you know, reading the fine print and many people don't read the fine print. So photographers will upload their work. Then, you know, a couple months later, they'll go search the internet and see who's been using it and who's not following the law or following the license. And then they'll sue them because technically it is copyright infringement. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So much to think about there. All right. So good. Thanks for clarifying that. All right. We'll start to, to close it up. Let's, let's, uh, one question that's, that's topical here, obviously, as, as we're dealing with the COVID-19 crisis, as we record this episode, uh, from a legal perspective, and I'm asking this because I know you've talked about this on your blog, as well as on your podcast. What are some of those things that you're seeing that people should be aware of, small business owners should be aware of as it relates to this impact that it's having on our small businesses? Yeah. And gosh, this is so tough. Honestly, contracts. um, This is a big one because maybe you paid to exhibit at an event or attend an event, a conference. And due to most of these contracts having a force majeure clause, you probably won't be getting your money back, especially if they reschedule the event. I see. So like for me right now, I had um, one of my biggest conferences. It was supposed to be um, at the end of April, obviously that was canceled or at the end of March that was canceled. Well, they're rescheduling it. So I can't get my money back, but now, which is fine. Like I'm still going to attend the event, but I still have, you know, almost $10,000 still tied up for that amount of time, right. which I was counting on making back at, you know, at the end of March. Right. From a, from a cash flow perspective now, that's completely not what you were planning. Exactly. And then I, you know, I've had a couple of phone calls this week with, um, you know, one client in particular, she has an event scheduled for, it's like June 5th and through the 7th. Well, it's for scheduled for 300 people. Let's be real. That event's not going to happen. Right. However, there's no state protocol that says that event, that events can't happen. Not yet because they're taking it, you know, essentially day by day. And you know, the client wants a refund now. And I'm like, look, you know, we can ask for it all day long, but ultimately they don't have to give the refund until the state says, you know, no events can be held on, you know, over, you know, during this time, maybe, maybe there's a shutdown. And now that they're considering reopening the states, it may be, you know, a matter of days before the event that she can even officially cancel if she wants to wait that long. So she wants a refund and the hotel's offering, you know, to reschedule for free, but she, she was like, you know what, I, I just want a refund, not even do this event and even postpone it. So we're dealing with that. Um, another client, I felt bad for this guy. He 
so he travels to different events and helps um like uh fall or not fall summer festivals they help he helps them do different events and basically those events that get canceled or postponed they don't have he doesn't have they don't have to pay him even though the contract says you know if this event is canceled you know we don't have to pay because it is it would be illegal to host the event number one i see and the guy was just like how do i protect myself I'm like honestly like there's there's really nothing you can do like we're gonna I, see I hate, some, some new clauses yeah. going forward in contracts aren't we to, to i know and i hate this. saying that that there's nothing you can do but at, i know you know at the end of the day like but, but I think as a small business owner, if you find yourself, I've been advising people, you got to get an attorney to help you with this. Um, I mean, I've, I've got clients that are trying to get something from their landlords and, and I hear every range from, nope, you got to pay your rent to absolutely will work with you. Yep. And I just think that sometimes that message coming from an attorney can have more impact sometimes, even if legally they're in the right. Um, right. So I, I think that's something to consider. Yeah. And I, you know, when this first happened, I had a couple of clients that had really, you know, six figure events and they had to be canceled because they were in March. Well, the hotel didn't want to give a refund. And at the time I was telling the clients what to say, because, you know, you don't want to get the attorney involved too soon, especially if it's a good relationship. Good you don't point. want to yeah, burn point. that bridge. So I was kind of, I was just telling them, Hey, you know, tell them this. And you know, the hotel just was not listening and wasn't having it. So I finally, I was just like, look, I'll email them. I didn't even have to get on the phone. I was just like, Hey, I represent so-and-so. I was hoping to get on the phone to discuss this. And they, you know, immediately wrote back and said they were giving a refund. So yeah, yeah that's very <laughs> telling, but you make a good point that often what you're going to get from the attorney is here's how to say it. And then we'll proceed with some kind of demand letter if they're not responding. Right. Right. Uh, but, yeah. but that's a perfect example of how when it comes <laughs> with a little bit more uh, emphasis behind it, that it might turn uh, ugly, that uh, they might respond differently. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you for indulging me in all those questions. Let's let's start to wrap it up. But uh, share with us uh, all of the services that you offer, especially the different plans, the Legalpreneur membership. So summarize all that for us. Yeah, so we, I mean, we offer pretty much, I like to say we're a small or a full service firm for small businesses. So anything a business needs, we can pretty much do for you. However, we do have the Legalpreneur membership, which is how we provide all access to our clients. And with that, you get unlimited emails. So you're not paying hourly to chat with your attorney through an email. So it's unlimited emails. You get 60 minutes of phone calls a month. You also get 30 pages of document review a month, and then you get access to the contract vault, which is tons of contract templates that you can just DIY. And then you get 15% off of any other services that you need. And that is only $199 a month. And then you, we have the special code for your audience. If they use promo code HOB, they can save $30 off of their first month. That's a great deal. So, so the regular price is one ninety nine. You're offering thirty dollars off on the first month. Just use the promo code H O B, um, because I was expecting it was going to be a lot more of that. Now, those I'm assuming those minutes and um, number of pages that doesn't roll over, right? I use it or lose it on a monthly basis. I suspect. Yes, correct. Okay. Yep. 
Yep, right. use it or lose it. And if you've never worked with an attorney before, some of mo- most of them charge hourly for every little thing. Correct. So if you, you know, if they're thinking about your email, not even just if they read your email, <laughs> they're charging you for reading it. Right. If they're just, you know, sitting in their chair and kicking back and thinking about your email, if they're in the shower and they're thinking about you, they're billing you for it. That's right. So we provide, we created this membership with small business owners in mind to eliminate the billable hour and, you know, provide that ongoing help to create that relationship to really help small businesses grow without being, you know, stopped or, you know, incurring any huge legal bills and not being able to continue business. What I like about it as well is that it allows me now, Andrea, to on a regular basis, check in with my attorney, ask these questions that I would have otherwise either done a Google search or asked somebody else or not gotten any advice on. So it encourages me to, to get that, that legal advice. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right. Wonderful. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Uh, books. I'm always looking for a book recommendation. Is there a book that comes to mind that you would recommend? Yeah. So I've all, my, the very first book that I read that really like opened me up to the entrepreneur industry. It's not even an entrepreneur book, but it's called, I will teach you to be rich by Ramit Sethi. And just reading that book back in 2010 and just being exposed to him and everything he offers that really just opened me up to this whole new world of the entrepreneur industry. Wonderful. I have not read that book. So thanks for that recommendation. Yeah, it's good. It's, it's an easy read too. It's, it's really good. 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 Wonderful. All right. We'll wrap it up. Uh, I, I usually ask one thing to take away from this conversation and I think we'll go with that, you know, between trademarks and copyrights and all of these kind of legal components that, that affect a small business owner. What's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation? Don't think you're ever too small of a business to work with an attorney. And even if you haven't even launched yet, Honestly, the clients that take advantage of my program, the legalpreneur the most, are those that are getting ready to launch their business. Well said. I think that um, the way I look at it and advise people is if you don't have the money for that, then I don't think you're ready. I think it's a critical component, a, a required component of launching your business is getting the proper legal advice on, on entity creation, on partnership agreement, whatever different components your business might require copyrights, trademarks. You, you have to, that has to be part of the startup budget in my opinion. Yes, absolutely. Where do you want us to go online to find out more? Yeah, I am on Instagram at Andrea Sager law and you can, I mean, I post tons of IGTV videos, tons of quick tips. There's tons of free info on Instagram. My website is andreasager.com and definitely the legalpreneur podcast. So to get that the $30 off, we go to the website and then where do we go there? Yeah. So the website and up top, when you get to andreasager.com, you'll see the bar that sh- will take you to the Legalpreneur membership. Okay. And then that'll take you directly to the page where you can. And that's where you use the, the uh, HOB promo code there. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Andrea, this has been a great conversation. I've learned quite a bit. Thanks for sharing, indulging on my questions, indulging my technical snafu that made us run a little later here. Uh, Thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed this. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Andrea Sager. 
We release new episodes, as you probably know, every Monday morning. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at our website, thehowabusiness.com. And again, you can also just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996 for more information. Thanks again for listening. And thanks to our show sponsor, ZBrand, the all-in-one branding platform to help you grow your small business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.